Well, we're in a series called Myth About God and Faith, and I've really been enjoying this series as we're going through it. We're kind of exploring different ideas and, and beliefs and philosophies that are out there and exploring why we believe the alternative to these myths, and then how can we respond? What should we do differently from them. Now, the myth that we're looking at today is it's one that's very common, as all of these really have been. And it's one that, to be honest, sometimes I wish it weren't a myth. I wish it were true. I remember a few years ago when I was living in Israel with our family, and I was studying there at Hebrew U, and uh, one of the days towards the end of our time, we were living in the park. Uh, living in the park. <laughs> it's a great experience out there. We were hanging out in the park, and um, my uh, oldest son at the time was about eight, and he was playing with some kids, and, and I met uh, someone, in, and we lived in Jerusalem, so Jerusalem is like a very cosmopolitan, cosmopolitan place. There's people from all over the world who come with different mentalities and mindsets, but so we were hanging out in the park, and I met this guy who turns out that he was a Dutch journalist, and he was just stationed in Jerusalem at the time, and we got to talking a little bit, and our kids were the same age, and, and my oldest son came over, and we, he introduced himself, so he met this journalist, and you know, living there, one thing that you find pretty quickly is that it's, it's interesting, there's always something going on, but it's also one of the most uptight places you can live in the world because there's three major monotheistic religions who center on Jerusalem. So, there's, so my oldest son in living there was asking questions at the age eight, like, so why is Israel in conflict with Lebanon and what's going on in Gaza? You know, normal eight-year-old conversations preparing for third grade. Um, and and uh, he, he knew the difference and would see and all the holy sites of, for the Jews and Muslims and Christians, and he was learning all this. So we, he meets this uh, journalist and just says hi, and the first thing my eight-year-old looks at him, he says, so are you a Christian, a Jew, or a Muslim? <laughs> to which I'm like, no, 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 you can't, you can't say that. Don't, don't say that. Don't ask that of someone. And, and the journalist, in his wisdom, just said, actually, when you're living in Jerusalem, that's a very important starting question. <laughs> It's really important, so it's okay that you asked. And then he said, I'm an atheist. <laughs> Which I said, oh, great. Now I have to go down that road and explain this one. But, you know, living there, and, and of course for us, living where we do today, we see that there are many different faiths all over the place, and people believe many things. And the myth that we want to explore today is a challenging one, because a myth that says this, that all roads lead to heaven. And we want to explore, is it true that everybody can, have, can be right in what they believe is the path and the way to heaven. Does that make sense? Because when you look around in the world and we see all these different people with all kinds of different beliefs, for me, there are times I want this to be true because it, seemed, it would just be so much easier if it was. But we want to explore today why we believe the alternate to that. And then, most importantly, how do we respond? If this is not true, then what does that ask of us of how we shall live. So before we get into the topic, I just want to invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you so much for this time, and I thank you uh, that even though there's challenging things, uh, that, Lord, you're a God who walks with us. And so today, Lord, we need you. We need you to give us wisdom. We need you to give us comfort. Uh, we need uh, this to be about you. And, Lord, I even think in a world with so much conflict, uh, even yesterday when there's in a Jewish synagogue, um, the tragedy that happened where many lost their lives, Lord, uh, it's so confusing sometimes in this world, and we need your comfort. We, we pray for 
the families, that you would bring peace, that somehow through this, Lord, that you would give a ray of hope and, and change and um, protection for uh, the other synagogues and Christian churches and uh, those who are trying to go on their days. Lord, we ask for protection and wisdom, and we need you. So we pray this morning, Lord, you'd teach us, and this would be about you. So we give you this time now in your name. Amen. There's a famous illustration uh, that maybe you hear when you talk about religion, and it's a, it's a picture of three blind men who are in a room, and there's an elephant in the middle of the room. And each of those blind men go, and they grab a part of the elephant and explain it. And they, one feels the leg and says, oh, well, this, this animal or this whatever is in here is this massive thing with really just bones, and, and it's strong, it's really hard and kind of you know, whatever, that they describe how big this thing is. The other man is grabbing the tail and says, no, no, it's kind of skinny, and it has a lot of hair on it, and it's, you know, that's what they describe. And the other one says, no, no, no. He grabs a trunk and says, it's really strong, but there's no bones in this. It's almost like a snake, the way it moves around. And everyone's explaining, each of these people are explaining the elephant in different ways. Now, some people say that that's God. That every religion is just blind people grabbing one piece of God, one road to heaven, and describing the best they can. And what we want to really look at today is if there really is a God who's, who created us and who's personal, is that the way God would want to be known? Would God want to leave people in the dark as a bunch of blind people and say, you can't really know me, you can't really know who I am, so just whatever you figure out is good enough? Is, does that match with the character of God? And that's one of the things we want to explore today and ask the question, is it that God, though we may all be blind, did he give us someone who can see and who can show us the way and show us the true character? And our answer today is we believe yes, and that person is Jesus, and we're going to explore that in a little bit. But what, what is it about this myth in particular or even that illustration that people like? Why do people want to believe that all roads lead to heaven? Why do even, for me, I wish that were true? There's a few thoughts for us. One, it's because we don't like to say that anyone is wrong. Now, you can look at the news and say people have no problem telling each other that they are wrong. But in general, we don't want to say someone's wrong and we're right. We don't want to feel like we're putting someone else down. And culturally now, we don't like the idea of that. The other thing that wants us, makes us want to believe this myth is we don't like the idea that there are people that we love and care about who may not be on the road. If there is only one way to heaven, that means that we all likely know someone who's not on that way. We don't want to think that. We don't want to believe that. I hate that truth. We also have a hard time being out there on the edge. One of the things is we don't like to be, what if I'm the only one who believes this? It's so much easier to say, well, let's, you know, let's just all be happy and I'll fit in with the crowd and I don't want to stand out and make myself like a little bit out there on the edge. These are all things that kind of go through our minds. Another one might be this. There's so many religions in the world. There's so many religions. So maybe it's that God just wants to be different things to different people. So we don't really want to believe this because, or we want to believe this myth to be true because, well, look around, there's, there's all these religions. So it must be that maybe, you know, not everyone, not all those people could be wrong, right? But the question we need to ask when we're looking at that is, does that even logically work? Do any of those reasons 
take negate the fact that that we believe is a myth. And the truth that we believe, I'll put it up there for you, the truth is we believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. We believe that he is the true manifestation of God. He was God in flesh and gives us, he is the guide to help us see who the character and nature and the ways of God. And in him, eternal life can be found. We believe this to be true. And I know the difficult thing is, is you have friends, you may have family, you may have coworkers who think if you believe this, this to be true, that you're being unfair, that you're not nice. To believe this. You're arrogant. You're prideful. So we want to look at why do we believe this to be true? So let me, and then how do we respond? So a couple things first. Let me just hit the logic of this first. The logic of why we shouldn't, why you don't have to believe that all roads lead to heaven, because it breaks down logically very quickly. First of all, is all faiths, religions claim an exclusivity of, to the truth. All faiths have some level of saying, this is what we believe to be true, and if we believe this to be true, that means that the alternative cannot be true. You cannot believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and at the same time, following the five pillars of Islam is the way to heaven. And at the same time, you know, fill in the blank. The eightfold path of enlightenment is a way. You know, you can't have, so no religion allows for believing one thing and saying the other thing is also true, and this thing is also true. There's even a faith of universalism that essentially says that no one should be exclusive, that everyone, whatever you believe, is okay. But even that is an exclusive belief, because in the universalists, they say that you can't be exclusive, but that's an exclusive belief. So you can see that no matter what you believe, it breaks down, that if there is a truth, then that means something has to be untrue. It's just the way it goes. So logically, all faiths cannot be true. It doesn't work. Now, all faiths can have pieces of truth. All faiths can have something. They can know a little bit of truth, but they can't all be true, especially when it comes to the way of salvation, which most world religions, especially the big ones, talk about here's the path. They can't all be right. So logically, it makes sense that this myth breaks down. The other thing is this, uh, some people ask, uh, we want to address is, is it arrogant to claim that there's only one way? Is it arrogant to claim that there is truth in the world? One simple illustration is this, is if I told you that you need oxygen to live, and if you don't have oxygen, you will die as a human, and you told me, that is such an arrogant viewpoint. I can't believe you would think that. That's so arrogant. Why don't you say you could have oxygen or you can have something else too? It doesn't matter. Just as long as you have, just pick what you want. But if it's true, it wouldn't be arrogant to proclaim it. So if Jesus is the way to heaven, it's not an arrogant standpoint. It's not an elitist standpoint to say we believe he's the only way, if that is true. Now, there is a way to talk about it that's appropriate, though. Now, there are people who are very arrogant in their approach, and, and, and that's a different story. That's a different thing that we need to deal with your hearts on another week. But, uh, so, but it's not arrogant to say there is a truth that we believe. And so the question for us is, can you find spiritual truth, and how do we find spiritual truth? One author says it this way when he's talking about this whole issue. He says, while there are many religions from which to choose, they differ radically from one another. And choosing where to place your spiritual trust is neither narrow-minded nor intolerant. If all roads do not lead to God, 
then a spiritual search will lead you to the scandalous reality that there is only one way. So if they can't all be true, you're going to get to the scandalous reality that there is only one way. And that's the way. For a Christ follower, that way is a person of Jesus. So what we're going to do is let me jump in and look at why do we as Christians believe that Jesus is the only way. And then, and by the way, today, we're going to leave you with questions. We're not going to answer everything. We're not going to give you all of the details to figure this out. We'll provide you other resources. But we want to look at why do we believe this. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 14. And the book of John is in the New Testament. And so why do Christians believe Jesus is the only way? So let's look at that. John, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, Jesus is speaking to his disciples And he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Now, at this point, what Jesus is doing is he's actually using an illustration from first century Judaism. And the illustration he's using is this picture of when a, a groom gets engaged to his bride, he, they would get engaged, he would tell his, his fiance, stay here with your family, and I will go back to my father's house. And I'm going to go to my father's house, and we're going to build an addition onto the home, and, and we're going to make a, a house for you and me to live and begin our family together. So stay here, and I will go back to my father's house and add an addition. I think the newer generations were going back to this uh, way of doing it, right? Moving back into the family's house. So, but that's what you would do. You'd go away, and you'd prepare a home that's big enough for the future family. When that house was ready, you would go back, tell your fiance, we got the house all ready, so let's go back, and now we can get married. We have a place to live, and we get to live with your in-laws. How great is that? So that is culturally, (laughs) how it worked. So Jesus is using this illustration, and it's an illustration for heaven. He says, I will go away, going to the Father in heaven to prepare a place for you. Now, I don't think that Jesus is up there in heaven with the Father, and they're, you know, swinging a hammer and laying gold bricks and getting, you know, the place just right for you. What this is is symbolic of, it's, it's an image of creating that God is being patient with us, that the Father is being patient, And he knows with his infinite amount of wisdom and knowledge and foreknowledge of our hearts and people and if he's omniscient, he's preparing a place or he's waiting for the time when all who will be saved are saved. That there will be room for everyone who wants to be saved. There's room for everyone. And Jesus is, and now to the Jewish audience, this is actually a little bit scandalous too because Jesus is saying for anyone to be saved. I go and prepare a place. Look at how it goes on. Thomas responds to Jesus. And I love, I I talk about Thomas every once in a while. I like Thomas. Uh, I like him. He's a skeptic. He's a doubter. He asks questions. If you come here and you ask questions and have doubts, that's okay. That's a good way to grow instead of just get bitter about questions in your heart. Thomas would ask Jesus things like, I don't get this, or what are you talking about? And and Thomas, by the way, last week we briefly mentioned him when he said, Jesus, I won't believe you're real, that you rose from the dead until I see it for myself. And Thomas went on in history, uh, the tradition is that he went off and became a, a missionary to India and started, the Christian church just exploded in India because of Thomas. 
And what's interesting is when he saw Jesus rise from the dead, he proclaimed, my Lord and my God. And he went to the country that had millions of gods to proclaim there was just one. And Thomas was killed for his faith in India and has a city uh, in India to this day where they honor him as the, the one who brought the Christian message. So here's that guy on his journey. Jesus says, I, I'm, where I'm going, you know the way. And Thomas asks this great question, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? <laughs> in other words, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you just said, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas, what you're really wondering, what you want to know, and what I'm talking about is spiritual things. I'm talking about eternal life. I'm talking about hope that you, you can have in being restored to the creator God. So Thomas, what is the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So why do we believe that all roads don't lead to heaven? One, the first thing is this, because Jesus proclaimed that he was the only way. We believe it because Jesus proclaimed it. Now, by the way, if you don't believe anything in the Bible, if you, you say this book is not to be trusted, this is, that's a hard thing for this morning. Let me just say, we're starting from the starting point that we believe this to be true. And you can look a few weeks back, we talked about why we believe the Bible to be true. And last week, we talked about why we believe Jesus was God. So if you believe the Bible's true and Jesus is God, then we trust what he says. And like I said, if you still have questions, uh, we would love to process with you afterwards. So we believe this because Jesus proclaimed it. What's the other reason why we believe there's only one way? And it's this, the biblical narrative, uh, the biblical narrative proclaims there is only one way. From the very beginning of our Bibles, it proclaims there is only one way. We have the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew scriptures, proclaims actually that there is one way to God. Proclaims that there is one God through whom we should be saved. Passages like in uh, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 20, the end of 21 and 22 says this. Is it not I the Lord? There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. See, this wasn't just turn to me and be saved, nation of Israel. It was Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. There is no other place where you can be saved. And that, that story is consistent from the very beginning. The biblical story starts with God creating mankind, and we were separated through sin. And ever since then, God began saying, I want to restore this relationship with mankind, but there's no other way except through me. And even in the Jewish faith, they began this sacrificial system where they would sacrifice an animal at least once a year for their atonement of sins. Because it was symbolic of a reminder that our separation from God brings spiritual death. And so every year there was a sacrifice to be reminded that our sin separates us from God. But God, from the very beginning of the Hebrew scripture says, I will one day send a Messiah and, and end that sacrificial system with a different sacrifice once and for all. I have a few verses for you from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. This is in the Hebrew scriptures. This is a, a prophecy that's written probably four or 500 years before Christ lived and existed on earth. This was a prophecy about the Messiah and what the Messiah would do to take away the sins of the world instead of using the animals as a sacrificial system. And read, just see some of the verses I have for you here. It's speaking of the Messiah. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, 
a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, that's peace with God, was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That's that idea of all has sinned and fallen short of glory of God. And the Lord has laid on him, on the Messiah, the iniquities of us all. Verse 9. This Messiah was assigned a grave with the wicked, so he died, or he will die. And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. This person will be alive again. And by the knowledge of my right, by his knowledge, my righteous servant, the Messiah, will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. See, the biblical narrative, even in the Hebrew scriptures, speaks about there's an issue with all mankind, not just Christians, not just Jewish people, but all mankind falls short of God. We're all separated. And so God in his wisdom is going to provide a once and for all sacrifice to make appeasement, atonement for our sins. And it was in the Messiah. Now this is prophesied long before Jesus was born. Long before the rumors that he rose again after being crucified. If you ask a rabbi today what they do with Isaiah 53, most of them, if they're honest, will say they don't like it. Because it's problematic Because most would admit this does sound a lot like the Christian Jesus, the Christian idea of the Messiah. And it's problematic. But it was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's there. It was written before the time of Christ. Interesting. See, God from the beginning said there is one way. I will provide the way. It's through the death of my son that you may be restored with God. Now, so if we believe that Jesus is who he says he was, And if we believe that he is God, and if we believe this to be true, then it stands to reason that if we are dead without Christ, that we need Christ to be made whole. So therefore, it makes sense that if all that is true, without Jesus, we have a Christless eternity, logically. Now, if Jesus isn't who he said he was, different story, different story altogether. So what do we do about this truth? And by the way, like I said, I'm not answering all your questions right now. We'll have some time tonight if you come to the evening service where you can ask some questions to go deeper on this. But for this right now, I know there's some tension. It's okay. Seek out more answers of why we believe Jesus to be true. But what should we do about this truth? If this is true, how should we respond? And I have a few thoughts for you. First thought is this. We should respond by trusting in the character of God. Trust in the character of God. What do we know about God as when he's revealed in scripture? And let's trust that that is who our God is. We know that he is holy. He's set apart. He's other than. We can't explain him. We can't fully grasp who he is. He's so much more higher than anything we could think of. We also know that he's just, that he is fair, that if he enacts justice, that he understands. He's omniscient. He knows someone's heart. He knows their life. He knows everything that we couldn't possibly figure out. We also know he's compassionate, that he's merciful, that he's loving. 
All of these things are characteristics of our God. When we come to an issue like this, we need to trust in his character. There are questions we cannot answer. There are all those, yeah, well, how do you know who's saved? What about my friend who once confessed to be a Christian and then it didn't seem to ever really live that life? Are they saved? I don't know. Sometimes we have to just trust in God's character. He's consistent in who he is. I, I was thinking, it's so good that God is not like me. And as a parent, I'm like, I, I've learned how inconsistent I can be and how not like God I am. You know, when you try to discipline your kids, I've learned that my wife used to tell me, like, you're such a bad discipliner. And I am because my parents weren't very good at it either. If we were grounded, I'd, they'd say, you're grounded. I'm like, okay, can I go to Tony's house? All right, you have two hours. You know, that's kind of how it worked in my house. So I brought that into my parenting and just didn't, you know, and I would throw out those, you know, what I learned is you're not allowed to throw out threats that you can't follow up on. Any parents do that? You don't have to confess now, but I will. I'm, I am the, you know, the guy like we're driving across the country and we make it to St. Louis and say, that's it, we're, we're turning around, that's it. And my wife's like, really? You're driving 2,000 miles home? Like, well, I don't know. It's like, you can't just say stuff. I remember there was a, uh, I was driving when I had all three boys in the back seat and my youngest was like somewhere around three years old at the time and they were all sitting next to each other. It's a bench seat in the back of my truck. And the middle, the youngest was just causing trouble. He's hitting his brothers and they were like, stop it. You know, so I finally said, if you do that one more time, and we were on the, on the toll road in Orange County on the highway, freeway there, and I said, you do that one more time, I'm going to pull over and you're going to walk home. <laughs> yeah, you know, judge me now. Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> and, and, and my wife's like, oh, you don't, don't say it. So then, so I said it, and literally 10 seconds after, I'm looking at my youngest, he's looking at me in the mirror, and he just went, boom. <laughs> Hits his brother, like, yeah, yeah, right, Dad. So, you know, being the man of infinite wisdom and character that I am, I pull over on the side of the freeway, and I said, all right, out, get out, I told you, you're walking home. And my three-year-old looks at me, and he's like, I don't have my shoes on. So I said, oh, okay, well, put your shoes. I'll help you. Put your shoes on. I put his shoes on, and my wife's like, oh, no, you're just digging a deeper, deeper hole. And so I go, okay, your shoes are on. Now get out. And he, and he said, literally looks at me. I'm like, how does he know this stuff? And he's like, okay, how do you get home from here? And just like, all right. <laughs> and just I said, you know, just keep walking. It's the first exit. You'll be close. <laughs> you know, if you do that, yeah, quit judging me. Look at that. <laughs> So, okay, it gets to the point where I realize I've dug a hole that I can't, I can't do anything about. I'm like, well, fine, just you win this time, but, you know. But it's so good that God isn't like me. It's so good that he doesn't sway in the wind. It's so good that he's fair and just and that he doesn't fly off the rails and that he actually understands how to deal with his creation. And so he does. So we want to trust in his character. We want to trust in things like the verses we, we learn in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. That said that God desires that all will be saved and come to the knowledge of him. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says God desires that no one will perish but all come uh, to experience life. That no one would perish. That's his desire so we can trust in it. That doesn't mean no one will. It just means the heart of God is he loves his creation. He loves the people who are born and raised in Encinitas. He loves the people who are born and raised in Mecca. He loves them. He doesn't want anyone to perish. That's his character. But there will be some who will. 
who reject, who don't want to follow Jesus. We even find in Jonah, the book of Jonah is in the Old Testament and Hebrew scriptures, and it's a story of, many people know it, of the story of Jonah and the belly of the whale, but really the story is about this, this city called Nineveh, who were not, uh, they were not followers, they're not part of the nation of Israel, they were known as a pagan nation. And the whole story is really about Jonah being mad that God would be compassionate on them. He, he's like, he actually gets angry and says, God, why would you even, these people are pagans. And I knew, God, Jonah says to him, that if I go to them you'll, and, and rep- preach to them, you're going to be compassionate and you're going to offer forgiveness even to them if they recept, accept my message. <laughs> and at the end, God responds to Jonah in verse 11 of chapter 4. He says, why has this upset you? There's 120,000 people who live in Nineveh. Why does it upset you that as their creator, I care about them and love them? See, God cares about and loves every person, even those who have rejected him. He wants them to know him. He wants to be restored in relationship with him. It breaks his heart when we're separated from God. And again, it doesn't mean that all roads lead to him. Just do what you want. But we got to trust his heart is that he wants people to know him. And God will find a way to reach out to others. But there will still be many who reject him. It's the truth. But it breaks his heart. So we want to trust in the character of God too. We want to respond to the truth that we, do, that we know. We want to respond to what we know. So a lot of times when I talk to people and they say, well, I don't, like, I don't believe that all roads lead to heaven. Or I believe all roads lead to heaven. I don't believe that there's truth. And what about those who never heard the name of Jesus? How can they accept him? You know what? Abraham never believed in Jesus, or never heard the name of Jesus, and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. If we believe God is just and fair, it makes sense that if someone never heard the name of Jesus, that he's able to look into their hearts and see their faith in God without full revelation. Okay, so I'll give you that. But that's usually what people will throw out when they don't want to talk about, well, you've heard, so how are you going to respond? So we need to respond to the truth that we know. We need to respond to the full knowledge that we have. And if there's something else that's at work, at play, that's up to God because he hasn't told us how that works. But what we do know is is what we read in our scriptures. So we need to respond to the truth that we know. I love there's a story in the book of Acts where uh, Paul is talking with a king and a governor, and Paul is in chains, so he's a prisoner, and he's telling them the whole story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and saying the prophets talked about him, and Moses talked about him, and now he's the fulfillment of everything. And he said, hey, king, even you know that the scriptures have been pointing to Jesus. You should become a Christian. And the king looks at Paul and says, do you think you could convince me in such a short time that I'll become a Christian too? And Paul's response was, I don't know if it'll take a short time or a long time, but my desire is that everyone who hears me, not just you, but everyone else who listens, will come to the knowledge and become what I am, except for these chains. In other words, you now have the truth. My desire is that you respond and receive and believe Jesus. Believe that what he did was enough. So you can only respond to what you know. We can only respond to what we know, so we need to do that. Respond to the truth you know. If you hear about Jesus, you know about him, what's your choice? Will you believe in his works, what he's done? 
Next thing is this. How do we respond is this. Be a part of God's mission. Be a part of God's mission. If we really believe this, I have news for you. You are a missionary. You may not be a missionary who's going to be sent overseas, but you are a missionary who will be sent back to your house today. You're going to be sent to your coffee shop that you like to go to and the grocery store you go to and to the school where your kids go. And you're a missionary sent to your workplace. And you're a missionary sent to your neighborhood. You are a missionary. So be, join with the mission of God. Let's, be, let's give a pe- people a reason to believe in Jesus the way we live, the way we interact, the way we love, the way we respond. You are a missionary. So be on mission with God. Use this week. This week, this Halloween. Some of you don't like Halloween. I, that's totally fine. That's your choice. If, you, if your neighborhood participates in Halloween, why don't you give out king-size candy bars? Invite some neighbors over. Use it as, hey, you, you guys are coming to my house? Let me just be the hands and feet of Jesus. You're a missionary. How can you use the cultural rhythms to bring the message of Jesus to those around you? What is it that you can do in your life? Jesus writes or says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and 38, he says, the harvest, harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord would send workers for the harvest. Pray for those who are saying, hey, we are all bringing this message of Jesus. We want the world to know about Christ. We want your friends to know about Christ. And this is a great time for me to say, if you have friends who believe different faiths and, or family, this is not your time to bring your soapbox and to stand on it and tell them why they're wrong your time to love them, lovingly share the truth as much as that, when that comes up and you have the opportunity. Have that dialogue, but do it out of just, I want you to love them like no other. If you're going to share with somebody, you better have a good loving relationship with them. Unless someone, you know, if someone comes to your door and wants to debate, go ahead, debate. But for the most part, when you're sharing Jesus, let's do it from a posture of love, not arrogance. Let's do it from a posture of, of graciousness and compassion that God has. Not from a, hey, you're going to hell, so you like, you know, you want to respond to this or what? Do it from a place of our God who created you loves you and wants you to know him. And this applies to anyone who believes in other faiths and religions, to the Muslim nations. Let's, let's lead with love and compassion as we bring the message of Jesus. God wants all to be saved and to know him. So be a part of God's mission. That's what we're a part of at this church. We wanna be that. We we exist to help people discover life in Christ, period. And we wanna grow in our faith, but we want people to know Jesus. That's what we're about. And finally, I wanna invite you, or, or the final thing is, let's be people who are praying for others. Let's pray for others. Put some names on a list that you have people you know who aren't Christians. If you're here today, you might be on someone else's list. They might be praying for you. We're praying for you. But know this. You're not praying. These are not projects. We're not, this is not building your pyramid scheme and your downline. You're not going to reach a higher level. <laughs> this is because our God loves your friends. Let's pray for him. It's amazing to me, I, I started doing this where I wrote like five names of people I know on a list and say, I just want to pray for them that God would speak to their hearts. And then when God answers that prayer, I'm always like, are you serious? Now I have to do something about it? And it's very quick that all of a sudden they will ask 
spiritual questions. It happens all the time. I even had a, a, a joy this week. I was with uh, one of you. I think he's here. Brent's here. And uh, I was hanging out with Brent, and we were talking theology, which is, you know, a light topic, and we were talking about some things. And while we were sharing, one of Brent's friends came into the room, or uh, came into where we were, and, and said, oh, what are you guys doing? And Brent's like, oh, we're talking about theology. And the guy's like, okay, <laughs> wrong question. Um, and then he just said, and Brent looks at him and says, so where do you stand on that? And he goes, stand on what? Like, you know, thoughts about God. And I just, and this guy didn't know I was a pastor, so I just kind of put my head down and smiled in my heart like, you go, Brent. You're on your own on this one. I'm not helping you. But it was so fun to see, and the, the guy said, uh, well, I, you know, I just try to do what's right and live, fight the good fight. He actually used the words. I try to fight the good fight and live a good life, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of more Buddhist than anything. And uh, it was fun to hear as Brent responded and said, you know, I tried that, but I found I need someone bigger than me, someone outside of me to make me right with God. And I thought, you know, there's so many people we interact. And, and then when that guy got on his knees and confessed Jesus right there, I was, okay, he didn't. But, um, you know, we always are waiting for that big moment. But maybe that's a small moment in his story. And you don't always have all the answers I certainly don't. There's times I think, oh man, what does this person want to know? I can't, I don't know how I'm going to respond. But that's again where we go back to trusting God to be God. You don't have to save anybody. In fact, let me let you in on a secret. You can't. Only God can. But you can be on mission. And you can pray for people. And you can respond to the truth that's in your heart and life. And so let's, as a church and as a family, let's respond to that truth. And as we end, let's just stand. We're going to sing one last song, and then we have one, la one little thing for you after the song. Um, so I want to just stand here, and let me pray for you, and let's just respond to this truth that God has given us today. Lord God, we thank you so much that you don't leave us alone in our mess, in our sin, that you provided a way. And I thank you, Lord, that in your great wisdom that it was about you and not about us. It's not about the work that we could perform. It's about the work that you performed. And so, Lord, now we pray for anyone in here who does not yet know you, that, Lord, you'd speak to their hearts and draw them into a relationship with you. And, God, for those who, of our friends and our neighbors and our family and coworkers who don't know you, God, we're asking that you would draw them into relationship with you, that you would save them from their sins, that you would bring life, the life that is found in you, Lord, and give us wisdom and courage as we go in grace and compassion. So Lord, we give you this time now and we, we thank you and proclaim who you are for us, as you are our way. We want you to be the way for our community. So we give you this time now.